Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. She's your oracle. She's telling you when you're off. Underneath, she's probably sensing something that almost always is about your lack of awareness or your lack of feeling. Leaving the toilet seat up, lack of awareness. You're late, lack of awareness. You're not feeling me, lack of feeling. It's a recognition and a warning bell that you're not conscious. Hi, I'm Mark Groves. I'm a human connection specialist and founder of Create the Love. At an early point in my life, I became obsessed with understanding relationships, the intricacies of how people connect. And through this exploration, I have created a life and a business dedicated to learning out loud and exploring how we interact with each other and the world. This podcast brings the world's top thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, physicians, scientists, researchers, best-selling authors, and health and wellness experts under one roof to discuss the good, the bad, the messy, and of course, the beautiful parts of the human experience. Welcome to the Mark Groves Podcast. I can't wait to dive in with you. Welcome back to the podcast, Mr. John Wineland. Happy to have you back. Thank you, Mark. Great to be here, man. You know, last time you were on, it was a very popular episode. So for all of you listening, please make sure you go check it out. You have a new book that's come out, which is called From the Core, and it is a new masculine paradigm for leading, living your truth, and healing the world. So that, I think, to everyone listening, we're all wondering, how does one do that? I think in the sort of framework of how we perceive the masculine or we perceive men, maybe I'm being dramatic here, but it feels like we're in a bit of crisis of identity or a crisis of how do we show up for our partners, our family, the world, and there also be this message of sort of the exile of the warrior or the exile of which fair enough when it's aggressive and, and not integrated, that framework of ma masculinity or toxic masculinity as it's been named, it just feels like we're sort of caught in a paradox, if that makes sense. So I'm, I'm curious, maybe we could start with how that fits in with, with what you're teaching and, and how we might define masculinity given that complex uh, structure that we're entering with. First of all, let's just, let's just do the gender separation, right? When we talk about the masculine, you know, me being a cisgendered heterosexual male who teaches mainly the same, not all, but mainly the same. My bias obviously is from there. However, the principle of the masculine I'm teaching is much to women now and transgendered individuals who come to my work. And, and so this idea of separating the masculine from men is important because the masculine is something every human has. The feminine is something every human has. And again, we're just applying labels to universal concepts of consciousness, spaciousness versus energy, light, you know. So I feel, I feel it's important to say that right away. With regards to men, there's a new possibility emerging that has never really been uh, you know, it's never been available to us. And that is to move out of the survival mechanisms that led to toxic masculinity, survival and dominance, basically. So most of what we've learned to be the masculine comes from survival and dominance, right? winning and dominating, right? 
So the new paradigm of masculinity, as I see it, and this is just my, my best shot based on my work, is liberation and consciousness and love, right? So the capacity to liberate through your leadership, the capacity to liberate more love, more consciousness, more truth, more depth, more joy, right? that is the masculine gift. And in my, my book, Masculine Leadership is what leads to more of that, right? So it's, it's moving from the obvious my way or the highway kind of, you know, toxic masculine piece or the mad men or, you know, the sort of masculine dominant to how do I liberate through my presence, my depth, you know, my humor, my consciousness so that others feel free, relaxed. And so starting to gauge leadership from that standard is where I think a lot of new men, you know, men who are stepping into deeper work and stepping into more men's work. I think that's part of what they're, they're discovering is possible. And quite honestly, it's part of what the feminine and what women in general are demanding more of. Men tend to desire to emulate and be like men who get women, right? Like from a heteronormative perspective, that's sort of evolutionarily true. And that has led to the desire to be dominant or have high status or muscular or all the things. And that's not to shame achievement or masculine or masculine. I'm like combining two words <laughs> to be muscular and words. masculine, right? Masculine. Okay. It's not to shame those things, but if I hear what you're saying correctly, it's to liberate us from the necessity for those things. And so when you say liberation, like to lead and that to liberate the people we're in relationship with, uh, our families, or can you speak a bit more to what you mean by liberation? Those other currencies, let's call them strength, will, determination, you know, those things that have, that, have, that have been part of the masculine lexicon for millennia, they're still necessary, right? They're still necessary. They're just not the end game. They're more like the ante now. Like the capacity to protect and provide and earn, I mean, those are still valuable in the world. And But so many men do that and wonder why, for example, their relationships are still muddy or they're still their their partners are still unhappy with them. The feminine in her amazing wisdom, I think has determined that presence is as important a currency as protection or providing, right? The capacity to be present in the moment and be fully with somebody is an incredibly powerful currency. The more present and the more sort of internally located, right, or centered or grounded, you can, you know, pick your word, that a man occurs or a human occurs, the more relaxed the people around them tend to be. And in that, that's a form of liberation, right? To actually cause your partner's nervous system to downregulate just by your breath. That's a form of liberation that most people, subtler forms of liberation that most people don't even recognize how crucial they are. So when you talk about liberation, I would start with the nervous system, right? Start with your partner's nervous system or the nervous system of your child or the nervous system of the people you love. And is your presence a calming balm to their nervous system? When they're out of the a fight or flight response and they're in more in a parasympathetic or, you know, down-regulated sympathetic nervous system, their capacity to be, to feel, to create, to love is enhanced. So if you just start there, you know, then you're starting to work on a whole new relationship paradigm, but relationship with the world. I'll say one other thing about liberation, because I think a lot of people don't think about it this way, but we've all been in moments, you know, I'll use partnership, right? Where things are just clunky or things are closed or, you know, there's something in between you two that's causing disconnection. Well, good masculine leadership in my book is to have the sensitivity and the feeling sensitivity and the awareness capacity to be able to recognize she's upset, right? Or something's really, you know, rather than just kind of move over it. So she's upset. Let me, let me help her get it out or let me help her. Let me hear her. Or let me help move her body or let me, you know, press my body into hers. And, and in that moment, you're liberating the moment, you know, you're liberating love in the moment. Those are the subtler forms of liberation that most people take for granted or don't recognize the value in. 
And over time, they become the reasons why people stay <laughs> or leave, you know, or want to be around you. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Liberating the friction that maybe a previous container has not had this space for. Yeah. Or the closure. Yeah. You know, it's funny because when sometimes I'll, you know, send something's up with Kai and I'm like, hey, anything up? You know, it's pretty obvious something's up. Like you can feel it. No, no, it's good. And, you know, it leads to this conversation where a lot is up and that's good and 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 we get to it. But I often will laugh saying like at the beginning, <laughs> there was nothing. And then now we have this whole can of beautiful worms to be able to explore. If I hear what you're saying correctly about the being the space or leading the space, because if I feel like I can be present within my own self, there's sort of a unconscious, at least softening of those around me, because if I can be with me, then there's not a fear of being with me that gets sort of permeated in my relationships. And I could understand, like, as you put that into language, I can understand how unconsciously, if someone cannot be with their own feelings, cannot be with their own selves, other people will be at least unconsciously destabilized and uncertain to be able to trust, to be able to soften, to be able to open. Is that, if I'm, am I conceptualizing that right? Yeah, you're getting it, man. And, and, and I think what men have, are starting to realize, at least the ones that I work with, they're starting to realize just how incredibly powerful that is. People want to have sex with you. People want to give you money. People trust you with their children. People, you know, look to you for leadership and community. So the more, you know, when we talk about integration, like we were talking about before the show, this idea of being in, having an internal masculine and feminine integration, which just means your consciousness and your sensitivity are online and working together. Having that internal integration then allows everybody else around you to feel a sense of freedom, to feel, I'm sure when you talk to Kai and, you know, you, you kind of gently press her for, hey, baby, like I know something's, I can feel something's in there. You know, in a sense, you're liberating her heart from a moment of closure. And over the course of years, that becomes an incredibly valuable, you know, skill set. Yeah, we become a conduit to expression that goes both ways. You know, it's in a way you sort of feel an innate sense of pride of your own presence and ability to maybe not personalize that or work on defensiveness or work on because, you know, I also find and maybe you could speak to this, but I found as a man, a lot of my programming. And I'm sure this is true for anyone who feels kind of codependent in some level. But as a man, you know, we go into this like fix it. Or if Kai's not happy, there's a sense that it's me who is in charge of fixing it. And there's also this internalized child process that I have to sit with, which is, did I do something wrong? You know, so I'm also liberated from my wounds or my trigger or my, you know, yeah. Well, the other for way to talk about liberation is liberating from patterns. And if you're not liberating yourself from your own patterns by using specific techniques, you know, breath is a technique, you know, martial arts, Qigong, yoga, I mean, any movement, grounding practice. If you're not liberating yourself from your patterns, you certainly aren't going to be able to help others <laughs> be liberated. Not that it's necessarily our job to liberate everybody, but it's a it's, it's something that I think over the course of relationship has to be at least an option on the table because, you know, it's women don't need us to provide, protect, or even procreate with, you know, as much as they did in the past, if at all. And so what masculine value is, I think, is being redefined, at least, you know, vis-a-vis -vis relationship, but also relationship with community, you know, relationship with the world, right? And so this currencies, as I describe them, are places where men need to start paying attention to developing the skill set versus strategizing the way we normally do about getting stronger, getting richer, you know, getting more status. Yeah, I think so often when I've had this experience of being with and working with men, and I, I felt this in my own journey, when I sort of woke up to what I was trying to achieve versus what was truly valuable in relationship was this feeling of, but I did everything I was taught. I did what I was supposed to do. And now my partner doesn't feel like, you know, I think of former partners, it's like, they didn't feel like I was present. They didn't feel like I didn't have emotional agility. I didn't have, 
I had emotional intelligence from a business perspective, but not from a relational. I didn't know how to sit with their discomfort. I didn't know how to sit with their grief, their anger, whatever it was, because I thought, but I'm doing like I'm providing. We're in a house, you know, we're in a relationship. I gave us a relationship status. You know, I recognize the bullshit in what I'm saying now, but what they really wanted was me. Yeah. It's the myth of the good husband, I call it right? This, well, I did what I was told, right? I, you know, be a good dad, make money, you know, support her career, be a good guy in the community. And all that now is really just a starting point for deeper relationship, right? And deeper connection and deeper experience in love. So the feminine in particular is waking up to thousands of years of, I mean, really just actually getting that in a, in a, you know, kind way. If even, right. If even, if yeah, even yeah. yeah. If even. So, so now the feminine is waking up to like, wow, there's, there's more depth. So I would also add that she doesn't just want your presence, but she wants your depth. What that speaks to is how, how, where's your awareness? You want to check where your depth is, check where your awareness is. If you're thinking, 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 that's where your depth is, is in thought, right? Thought patterns, thought loop. If you're feeling breath at the base of your abdomen, right, then your awareness is in the deepest part of your body and you'll be felt differently. So these, I know these things sound a little esoteric, you know, but I'm uh, just for your audience, like these are very simple practices that men can do in order to be felt, to both feel themselves deeper and be felt deeper. I've just seen this now in workshops after, you know, 10 years of teaching this in workshops, like sometimes women will just burst into tears, you know, being in front of that kind of depth transmission. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Feels more guttural. Yeah, well, I'm not sure what you mean by guttural, but like it just feels lower. Like it feels like 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 core sacral. Hence the name of the book, you know. But yeah, to yeah. the core. Oh, to the core. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. So this idea of coming from your core heart, from coming from your core, you know, belly, the core of your 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 center column. It, once you're there as a human, it doesn't just have to be a man. As a human, once you're there as a human then you you can feel yourself more which then the next step was be from feeling yourself feeling other right then from feeling yourself and feeling other feeling through both of those into something greater and that's sort of the arc of practice if i was going to just sim- oversimplify it and it's a yoga it's a martial art it's it's something that men are finding that they can actually practice and get good at and get instant feedback <laughs> from the world and from their feminine partners. What do we do with the energy, which it feels a lot like resentment? I was taught to do this. This is, but here I am. I did the providing I did. So how do we channel that? And then what are some of the greatest, because I think this might be correlated. What are some of the greatest reasons we have resistance to going into the embodiment, the core? The momentum of our childhood our parents' epigenetic background, our epigenetics, cultural um, experience, the momentum of that, those patterns is very deep, especially by the time you're 30, 40, you know what I mean? You've run those, you've run that script and that- Done them a few times, you know, a few million. Thousands of fucking times, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, and it's the, you see, your body does the same thing. You have the thought, I'm not enough, right? You have the thought, I'm not enough, then your body actually corresponds to that thought. There's a little closure that happens in your heart. Your breathing gets a little more shallow. You do that shit 10,000 times. It's pretty much, it's a grooved pattern. It's automatic. Yeah. Automatic. Yeah. So, so the resistance to unwinding that is often painful and often challenging and probably more challenging than most people are willing to be. We want the pill. Right, right. I just want to lift a kettlebell and have some tantra, you know, and it's all solved. 
Yeah, that's some incense and I'll write some sage, light some sage and you know, look <laughs> yeah. into your eyes. But the resistance, because those patterns underneath those patterns are wounds and those wounds are often painful. We don't want to look at what's painful, but part of integrity, you were talking about integrity, part of integrity is to, is to be as deeply in your own heart enough to know what's true. I'm in pain. I'm, I'm grieving. I feel loss. I feel fear. And then from that place, owning your own, wherever you, your own, I guess you call it emotional intelligence, but I, it's, it's, it's different than that. It's more of a feeling intelligence. Your partners can relate to you more. People relate to you more. It's, you're, you're more trustable in your humanity. People resist. And I would say it's because karma is deep. And so deep breathing changes your karma. Relaxing your heart changes your karma. Um, softening your the front of your body changes your karma. And then it'll change karma of those around you if you practice it deeply enough. How do you define the word karma in that context? In that context, I'm, I'm really talking about the pattern. It's she looks at me this way and I react defensively. That's the embodiment. I don't know what that's like. I've never done, yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> never done anything like that. That's the manifestation of our karma. And if it happens enough, you push the people you love away or relationships die or, or, you know what I mean? Or the karma, you know, I know you do a lot of work with, you know, um, you know, avoidant relationship styles and, you know, secure attachment. Those are karmic manifestations of, you know, your parents' histories and your grandparents' histories and your childhood history. So it's a practice. It's not just doing good deeds, although that's part of it, but it is a practice that requires the body to be involved and, and the heart. I've never thought about that in the context of karma, but as you say it, it makes total sense that the epigenetic path we might be looking at biologically, whether it's with our own personal health, navigating things like diabetes or metabolic issues, overeating, addictions, you know, you start to, in relational patterns, right? Like we think of it, my dad's an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic, you know, like we, we make those simple correlations and we know we might be at higher risk of alcoholism because a parent is or an addiction, but it's not the alcohol that's the issue. It's the emotional patterns that are in the pain and the unprocessed and unfaced pains. So I never thought about that from a karmic perspective relationally, but it makes till, you know, like my mom's defensiveness became my defensiveness. Cause I've thought of it in the context of, Hey, I looking up my family tree and anyone listening to this, I know you're looking up your family tree and saying, I'm the first person or one of the first people in my generation and my family to say, I will no longer keep perpetuating what I've been handed. I'm ready and willing to transform that. I never thought of it karmically, but it makes so much sense. And in a way, it, it makes it a little more empowering to face Yes, exactly. And that, that's the important piece. So I'll, you know, I'll take it one step further. So in the moment that she looks at you that way and you take a deep breath and soften your heart and just feel the infinite space within you, it takes three seconds to do that once you practice it. You know, you feel the earth beneath you. It takes three to five seconds to do that. The moment you do that and respond differently than you have the other previous thousand times, you're changing your karma. And you're changing the karma of probably your children. You could even go so far, some people believe, some would believe you're changing the karma of your parents and your grandparents in, in the timeless. You know, that's if you believe that woo-woo stuff, which I tend to believe a little bit. I love the woo. Yeah. Yeah. You're changing the lineage. You're changing your lineage. But where I see men get tripped up is they don't actually understand the mechanism of it. And the mechanism is in the moment. The mechanism is presence in the present moment and allowing yourself to be fully immersed in the present moment and also have some nervous system training. I mean, reactivity is a huge issue, you know, that I see a lot with lots of people, not just men, but that capacity to have the nervous system training so that my emotional body is just on fire right now. And how do I, this is sort of internal, like this is what I would call uh, shepherding your into your own feminine, right? So your energy's running through, you're about to like, you're getting red. That's the feminine. The emotional body is the feminine. So my capacity to calm that, you said do like a 
you know, inner child work or just like touch your inner child or that takes 10 seconds. Fuck, it can't take that long. And to do that work in the moment requires nervous system training. And that nervous system training is what allows for this karmic pattern interrupt and pattern shift. There's work in getting guys to really... It's discomfort. It is discomfort. It's discomfort. It's discomfort in the short term, obviously. Yeah. And, and that's, again, going back to liberation. When you've broken that pattern with your partner, where she looks at you like that and you get defensive or bark back, and you've broken that pattern, you've liberated that pattern from your relationship. Over the course of time, it'll be gone if you continue to do it. So that's another way to look at liberation. And I noticed too that changes the pattern if you have the opportunity with a parent who you inherit it from, like you begin to be more observational, you begin to see the pattern living in that relationship, I've noticed that, and then it begins to shift that. And if the other nervous system agrees to co-regulate, that is possible. And I, I find that's often like if we begin to do this inner work and when you said that we breathe to be in the moment, we take a second, feel the earth, we begin to notice things instead of reacting to things, we're noticing how our body's feeling. The relationship to our own inner fire, the emotional you know, dysregulation, the feeling of being flooded. So if we, whether we're male, female, or whatever, if we can begin to relate and hold space for our own inner feminine, then what I guess, would just be logically expansive from that is the ability to hold eruptive behavior that's obviously not violent or anything like that, to be able to hold that eruptive emotion from a space of, like, this isn't me. This isn't about me. Oh, man, that's, the, that's some inner child shit. Yeah, equanimity. To use a Buddhist concept, equanimity, you know, like that there's a peaceful balance and a peaceful balance, at least in the terms that I'm using, is a real connection to awareness, right? Consciousness, you know, awareness is just the mechanism of consciousness, right? So a, a balance between consciousness and sensitivity or love or energy, you know, pick your word. And then that peaceful balance is what allows us to also hold others in their emotional stuff, right? Without losing our shit or without, you know, being traumatized or freezing or anything like that. So I guess the whole point of the book is that the work starts as an inner journey of how do you deepen your breath? How do you deepen your awareness? How do you deepen your sensitivity? How do you deepen your ground? And then from there, how do you relate from that depth? It's an interesting concept of deepen because you said depth and awareness. Like if you want to know where your depth is, explore where your awareness is. I was asking this before. I'm curious, what is the greatest resistance that people have, but especially in your work with men that we have to depth? Like what is the feelings that are in there that keep us from actually going there? Because I feel like that seems to be one of the most common things. Like, is it shame that lives there? Like, because it feels like something we're so resistant. It's like, I am broken. I am not. Even the acknowledgement that how I've shown up to the world as a provider, a protector, a procreator is actually maybe not healthy or, or aspects of it are unhealthy. That is a lot to face. Like it takes humility. It takes recognition that there's value in the, maybe the acknowledgement of being a failure inside. And a failure is probably the wrong word, but you know, to have let down, to have hurt, to have damaged self and other. What I see and what I've seen from the men that I've taught, you know, is that they're hungry for it. They want it. They want depth. They want to have a deeper experience of themselves beyond their patterns and their thoughts. They're so fucking hungry for it, man. They just haven't been shown how. My impulse in this book is to say, look, men want to love well, you know, protect, deepen, be a healing source of presence. Like we want, I'm sure there's some that don't, but most of the good men I know do. No one ever taught us the work, the art, the yoga, the, the mechanisms of that, the technology, let's call it, to use Kundalini, the technology of depth. When I take guys there using breath practice or meditation practices, those things that you're talking about just naturally emerge and they're actually filled with them. They're having a deeper experience of themselves, their own shame, even if it's shame, 
but it's it's coming from a place their shame's emerging not from the thought patterns that are habitual but it's emerging from a core place in them that is actually healing and manageable so I found just to answer your question, I found that once guys learn the technology of getting into the body and really feel feeling more, they have a deeper experience of themselves. And then the the wound work that needs to happen is much easier and much more welcome. So instead of us processing from the top down, the intellectualization of, let's say, what emotion is present within the breathing and the depth? It's actually that the emotion emerges without the need necessarily to be labeled. Yeah. In fact, labeling it kind of. Yes. Becomes, it's know. the same shit, right? It's <laughs> yeah. like, I'm like, but put a label on it, John, please, please. <laughs> well, I mean, I think eventually they will. I just had a men's retreat up in, up in near Aspen. And, and so I got to see this again and again, where it just be it would just be a, a flood of emotion. It could be grief, could be shame, could be fear. And they didn't need to name it until after the process had completed. And then they were reflecting and they were like, oh, I had this, I, I, now I know what it was. But the naming of it came second to the feeling. The somatic experience of it. So the body's experience of it allows you to be more embodied, more in your, going to your core. And then as you feel more safe or more, I guess you would feel power. You'd feel this sense of integral or like being in integrity with one's own power, one's own self, one's own. Man, I think of how scary that can be at first to touch for a lot of people, whether you're male or female, you know, that like I haven't been present with my core. Like my core says, this is bullshit. My core says, we've been fucking around and playing small. My core says, I've been tolerating this bullshit relationship. I've been tolerating this bullshit sellout version of myself who's dishonored my own values, which of course we do as an adaptive strategy. You know, there's a compassionate space to hold that, but there seems to be like a rage that would come up, like a, a good rage, like the kind of rage that changes your life, the kind of grief that melts old versions of us. Anguish is is what a word I use a lot. Anguish. Right? Yeah. Anguish, I, I kind of see as the perfect blend of grief and anger. Yeah, I haven't heard that word in a while. But it does. It kind of sits in a non-judgmental space between. Yeah. So this whole concept of going into the core is so that, and it's surprising to a lot of men. And I think, again, I think it's just not having the experience of it. They don't quite know what to do with it. But once they have the experience of it, and I think this is important too, they're held in a container, either a therapist or you know, coach or a men's group, where it's not just them alone, but they're literally feeling the consciousness and love of the container holding them. That creates a really safe space for them to go into these deep spaces and just pop the top off of what's been stuffed, you know, probably since early childhood. So I'm curious, once we get into this more embodied core state of masculinity, how does that begin to express or what does it look like then to be in right relationship with the feminine? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think it's still unfolding for in a lot of people's you know, thought process. And it's something that's constantly, I'm trying to constantly update it in my own thinking. The words that tend to come are awe, right? Appreciation worship and just a reverence. What I've found again, when you're in that core state, you're really in a flow state. You're, you're in sort of a flow state. Your dopamine starts to kick in, your serotonin starts to kick in, your hormonal system is downregulated. Everything's, everything's just more in flow. When you're in that state, seeing the beauty of nature of life of children playing of dogs playing of your partners the hair on her shoulders or you know what i mean like it becomes much easier to feel beauty and awe and i know that's hard for most guys to go well it's hard for me to feel beauty when she's bitching at me or you know so the relationship that's one piece of it the other piece which i think is just a real practical way to look at it is she's your oracle she's telling you when you're off and most often, her delivery might suck, right? And that's possible, right? So you could say, ouch, baby, is there another way to say that? Or, you know, okay, I want to hear you. Like, is there a bit kinder way to come at me with that? But underneath, she's probably sensing something that almost always, almost always is about your lack of awareness or your lack of feeling. Almost always. It, it, almost leaving the toilet seat up, lack of awareness, 
right? Forgot, you know, you're late, lack of awareness. You're not feeling me, lack of feeling, right? It's almost every, not all, but almost every complaint uh, that I see in relational from the feminine to the masculine, it's a recognition and a warning bell that you're not conscious and you're not open. How does a woman navigate, and I know I'm speaking heteronormatively here, so this could be in many relational constructs. I'm curious, how does a woman hold space for the foreign nature of depth and awareness and emotionality? What does that look like? Because I find often when men enter these states or people enter these states of growth and depth and awareness, it causes reactivity or it changes the karma of the relationship of the pattern, as you're saying. And so the other person's pattern is- Love comes up, right? Right. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I think what happens is as, and this could happen for either partner in any kind of relationship, right? As we deepen, just as humans, and we deepen into our bodies for women, it's just they deepen into their hearts and they deepen into their bodies. Their partners are either going to follow in some way. They're either going to, you know, be inspired and opened and right, or they're going to react, you know, uh, from some sort of neurotic protective space. And so what often will happen is that partners will separate if one's doing the work and one isn't because it's just, it's not, they're not on the same wavelength anymore. But I guess, you know, I don't, I don't actually get that question a lot. The question I get is how do I get him there more? Right. But I know so many men who do that work and then they're like, I can't find women who want to meet me in that space, which of course seems like such a foreign question. I just, I like, I hear on both sides, there's no men who do this. And then I hear there's no women who can, and I'm like, well, shit, why aren't you guys finding each other? You're both asking the goddamn question. Yeah, right, right. Well, I think that there's a bigger problem with that. And that is that you're practicing to get something. Like there's an outcome oriented to the change. Yeah. As opposed to just being it. And just being it, right? So being consciousness, being ultimately, we're talking about getting into states of consciousness and love that don't need validation, that don't need, now we're all human and we all have human needs, of course, but the more we can tap those spaces of the better we communicate our human needs. What I'm seeing a lot of is that people are navigating these deeper states of presence and openness, right? Sensitivity and awareness. And they're they're relating from, they're working their shit out from deeper levels. And it's not that there's no shit. Of course, there's still shit, but they're just working it out from deeper levels. I hope it's okay. I cuss on your podcast. Uh, yeah. I'm, I don't know that I have an episode without explicit on it. So you're good. You're good. That's what I see happening. And I see that being a trend that I love. I also think that when we are saying, why isn't she giving me this? Look how present I'm being. You're actually coming from a place of you're not giving the gift of presence. You're you're being transactional and she's just responding your, to your shadow of transaction. Your expectation of a change. That's interesting because it makes me think of, you know, I'll hear someone say, oh, I did the work or I have blah, blah, and they still haven't shown up. And you're like, but that's the issue. It's like, as you're saying, the transactional nature of it, you're doing the work so someone will show up. And so you're still in this state of when I become enough someone will choose me. And so the void is still teaching you, which is interesting. Yeah. Versus being so deep in consciousness and love, like literally, you know, there's a pulse of love through our heart. It's infinite. There's a expanse of consciousness that's infinite. I mean, you know, that's just Vipassana, Buddhism, you know, you could pick your, you know, pick your exploration. These things are infinite. And the more we can find homes in them, the less we are the fuller we are and the more we have to give and the less we're coming from this place of fill me. Look, I did the work, fill me. And I get the same sort of question you get around that. And it's just a, a re- people get it when I remind them like, oh, you're there, you're, you were there to get, not give then on that date. And so when I tell people, I coach people going on dates, I'll be like, okay, this is not, you're not searching for your future mate. You are practicing giving the gift of whatever you're inspired to give. And then see what happens. And that often will change the way people show up. Yeah, it's like boundaried openness, you know, like you're kind of fierce in the presence, but also recognizing that you're, because I think that also puts you in a state of discernment too, 
You know, you're in this rested state of I'm giving, but I'm also from this state because I'm not trying to get someone or looking for a relational status as an outcome. I'm able to then be discerning about partnership and who this person is and whether they're actually a good fit for me. I love that, Mark. And I'm doing it from the place of fullness so I can trust my discernment more because I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I know I gave her presence. I was feeling her. I was in eye contact. I was breathing with her. Like I was in and she was checking her phone every five minutes, right? Not my human. <laughs> so, you know, I think discernment, it ups the level, it ups the game of discernment even more. Yeah, it does. Okay. So you said something earlier that I really liked before we started recording about killing the teacher. I'm curious how this relates to masculine leadership and to just the process of getting to the core and and what that might look like, because I really love that concept. So if you could speak more to that, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, well you know, as a teacher and I run teacher training programs, right, I, I'm constantly wrestling with this because there's sort of an unconscious trying to kill me all the time. And, you know, I, and I've had to kill my own teachers in some form or fashion, right? But I think for men in particular, I'll speak to men, it starts with the father relationship, right? And how we are both accepting the gifts of our fathers, right? Flawed as they may be, like what are the gifts versus cutting off and rising above, or like you said earlier, making the decision, like I am changing this lineage. And in that's a way, I think, I think that men can kill their fathers. Sometimes it's, it's becoming an entrepreneur instead of a doctor. Sometimes it's, you know, not becoming the alcoholic that they were. Sometimes it's, you know, being a present parent. I mean, that was one, one of the things that I, one of the wounds I had was that my dad was gone, right? You know, from the time I was two till time I was 18, you know, pretty much. And I mean, he came and went, but basically gone. And so the way I killed that relationship was I was a, I was a great dad. And I was, I was with my daughter as much as I could be. And I changed that karma. And so that's, that's one way to look at it. Not everybody's in a teacher, you know, like a mentor disciple sort of relationship. So it might not apply there. But I think also killing the patriarchy in a certain way. Like killing the structure, killing the authority, killing the the continued living of, I guess it's sort of a form of submission to how we were taught to be and whether that be a literal teacher or a figurative cultural teacher. Yeah, I mean, you could think about this is a deep concept. I mean, we can probably talk about it another time and go more deeper into it, but our internal patriarchy, so the masculine, I'm going to say for men in particular, but the internal patriarchy is the part of us that wants to control the feminine, right? That wants her to respond a certain way, that wants her to act a certain way, that wants her to, you know what I mean? There's a part of us that still wants to be able to control the force of nature that is woman or is the feminine. That's a really important place to wrestle. I mean, obviously, you know, we don't want to be abused and we don't need to get dumped on. That's a, a tricky wick that I'm starting to see unwound both in myself as I wrote this book and then in other men. They'll say like, you know, but she does this, this, and this. And the part of them that wants to control that, in my opinion, is their internal patriarchy. That makes sense. We've sort of set this expectation that we don't, it's not part of what a man's job is to deal with emotionality. Like just have food ready and be ready for your intimacy and make sure that the chores are done because I go to work and I provide. So as we deconstruct one, there has to be a deconstruction of the other. Like if we want liberation from the own, the expectations of society on what it means to be a man, we have to be just as enthusiastic maybe is not the full spectrum of emotion that might come from with the experience but that's the perfect example because she's mad at me how do i stop her from being mad at me or she's sad or she's having how do i fix that that's actually patriarchy in my opinion the part of us that needs to fix that or needs her to not be mad so that we feel safe so that we feel you know some of it's childhood wounding but i think there's a fine line that we need to start to talk about more. Yeah, I noticed this in our relationship 1.0, and I navigate edges of it still because it's so deeply embedded, this inner structure of how, what relationship should look like. And one thing that I noticed that was just living in me very unconsciously was in my desire to pay, 
for something. And it showed up when I paid for a flight when we were just sort of reuniting. And unconsciously, I noticed it. And I remember thinking, oh, well, if I pay for this flight, then I've got her. I remember her speaking to me about how like something came up for her in that transaction. And she said, I don't know what's wrong with me that I can't receive. And I was like, oh, actually there isn't. It's me. I created an unconscious contract that you weren't familiar with. So the energetic of the offer was that it wasn't unconditional and actually was with a hook. It was really interesting because it was such a pivotal part of our reunion because for me, it made me see where I do this and why I do it. You know, maintain control, as you're saying, to maintain some sense of certainty that obviously certainty created from manipulation is requires more manipulation. And she, I remember what evolved from it is, I remember thinking like, this relationship must be a container where we honor the wisdom that you're having somatically, where your automatic thought is what's wrong with me that I can't receive as opposed to what is somatically showing up for you that at least can inform a discussion that liberates us. And maybe there's something there, maybe there isn't, but that the relationship itself actually invites the wisdom that lives in the feminine. That's a perfect example of her being your oracle. Oh man, I didn't like the liberation that came from that because of the, <laughs> the shame I had to eat in the moment. But there was something, yeah, you're right. It was, and I really look, although I don't always like, I really look at the feedback that she gives me as a way of liberating myself because, you know, what I know to be true, and, I, and when I look back, it was almost always true of all my partnerships and all my f- friendships, but specifically relationships with women, is that they were always trying to get me more in integrity. They were always trying to tell me where I was stuck and where I wasn't open in my avoidance. I, you know, I recognized that in the openness was pain that I hadn't processed. And, and so it was easy to run from women who could see me, you know, and into other people who weren't willing to see themselves, which is not a judgment. It's amazing how relationship brings us into these karmic invitations. Yeah. Yeah. And may, may you, may you have a partner, a feminine partner that challenges you. (laughs) I mean, you know, I think that's something that a lot of guys want to avoid. (laughs) Right, right. Like what a thing to wish for. But when you finally get it and you see it is the actual path to your own evolution for the most part, as well as brotherhood. Yep. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Yeah. And so back to your question about how, you know, how to, how to hold the feminine or how to relate to the feminine. I think that's a really beautiful reframe. I want to find a partner or find a, you know, or friends could be feminine friends, right. That hold me to the standard of presence and integrity that, that I, they know I want to live into. That is a really beautiful gift. And and maybe that's a reframe for the way that some men can look at this versus another way that our internal patriarchy shows up. I see this with men a lot is about getting her, getting her getting her energy, getting her, you know, like kind of pigging out on her energy or getting her validation or get like, we tend to talk about it in terms of wounding. But, you know, when you think about it, the entire history of patriarchy is about wounded men, (laughs) you know? So it's, it's to me, it seems, it seems relevant. Yeah. And I know a lot of the often pushback from, let's say like men's rights or the reactivity about that is, well, there's this idea that in the deconstruction of the patriarchy or the deconstruction of what has been some models and expectations of masculinity is that there's a, there's a shaming of, like, it seems like a more collective reaction to the same thing, but I was just doing what I was told, you know, like this was just evolution. And that can all be true, you know, like I think human systems move in the direction that is maybe at the time serving its evolutionary expansion, you know, like the idea of the way that we treat the earth. Well, now it's such an exploitive, extractive process that it's the same as you were saying, that relationship to the feminine, like we still want to get, we want to extract and we want to, we want to like sit on our pile of gold or our pile of ladies or a pile of whatever it is. That's the toxic masculinity that has been the paradigm. And the more ladies and the more gold and the more you have, the more successful and, you know, more masculine you are. <laughs> and, and, and that's, that's the old paradigm that is, you know, hope. I mean, it's. Well, what a thing that could be taken from you, you know, like, like these are all things that if you lose them, you lose yourself, you lose your sense of self, your sense of masculinity. They're way too fragile. And what they require is just, as you were saying, get, get, get like much of the structure was, 
your status as a male was indicative of how many women or the or the status of the woman that you've gotten. Yeah, or how much land? Yeah, how much land for a long time? Yeah, yeah. And and this whole idea of a new paradigm is no longer is that really how you're assessing your value. How you assess your value is now is now based on a level of integrity and depth and, you know, continually failing but getting back up, failing but going back in, you know, not being able to go that deep and then trying again later, you know, and, and, and so your value, what your, how you assess your own value shifts. That's so beautiful. I love that. I love that invitation. I can't wait to read your book and I can't wait to dive into it. Your work, as I said in the last podcast, has been transformational in my own life, my own relationships. I remember the first time I met you, I just happened to be at a table in Cafe Gratitude and with Bob Schwenkler, and he invited me to a dinner and I got to meet you. And I remember having read your work, just being, I was like, how the hell did I end up at a table with John Wineland across from me? So you've always been a real inspiration for me. And of course, and I'm sure for everyone listening, I just, I can't recommend your books and your work enough from both men and women. It and, and I had Mimi and Chase on the podcast and, you know, you were really transformational in their reunion and their understanding of one another and understanding of themselves. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. And I'm saying right back at you, man. I'm so, it's been so cool to watch you just develop in this beautiful message of service and your commitment to it and the way you bring it is so easy and deep, you know? So thank you as well. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Where can people find your book? Where can they find more of you, your retreats, your work, all that? Yeah. My web website, johnwineland.com has got all of those things. And, uh, you know, the book Sounds True wants me to push for pre-orders because apparently that helps the bookstores know. Pre-orders necessary. Get on it, everybody. Get those pre-orders in. Pre-order, please, if you feel inspired at all, and it'll show up to your door. Right on the day of launch. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, that's it. And, and I always have stuff going on. So if anybody anybody wants to find me, I'm easy to find. Perfect. All right. Thanks a lot, John. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, man. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.